I think you could make a good case that we are the most distracted generation in the history of the world. Um, I don't know if someone might you know, say, well, the Roman Empire had a lot of wealth and a lot of distractions, but they didn't have YouTube and they didn't have cat videos. Mic drop! We are, I think, the most distracted. I mean, there's all sorts of things to kind of draw our focus off where it needs to be. And some of it isn't our fault. Some of it is just kind of environmental distractions that happen. I was remembering uh, one time, probably a couple years into the work in Rio, I was up preaching. We were at our rented facility in Matadeira on a Sunday, and the place was packed. And, and I remember I'm just preaching my little heart out, and all of a sudden everyone's eyes started looking up to the left and up above, and we had this kind of pipe, this uh, probably water pipe or sewer pipe that was running along the edge of both sides of the auditorium, and there was a giant rat that was slowly making his way across the pipe, and I, I mean, it was, it was incredible. He, he stopped mid-pipe and kind of looked at everybody, checked it out, and he was in no particular hurry, and so I had to just stop and let the rat and I think, uh, I don't remember exactly how we got rid of that rat, but I think it was something like we prayed over him, blessed him, and sent him up to the, uh, the Presbyterian church a couple blocks up the street, and that was the last we saw of him. But, but that was an environmental distraction, and we all deal with, with different kinds of things. And, and this is a tricky thing. As we get into Colossians today, remember we're reading someone else's mail, so what Paul is going to talk about are things that were distracting them. Okay, so keep that in mind. You may be like, I don't get this. Well, these were things that were really distracting people there at the church in Colossae. So let's get into this, starting in verse 16 of chapter 2. Paul says, therefore, remember last week, by the way, okay, one more, and I'll get on, but talked about being buried in Christ, talked about how Jesus is our entire identity. Then he gets into this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions, he has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why? (laughs) As though you still belong to it, do you submit to these rules? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. Sorry, get mixed up there. But all of these are destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Verse 23, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So, probably you do not have any of these verses like on a cross stitch hanging up in your house anywhere, okay? 
probably this is not like a screensaver that you have on your phone. Uh, I mean, you may be encountering this text and thinking this is a little bit tedious. It's a little bit boring because, again, we are talking about their distractions. First century Colossae. New moon festivals. Disputes about Sabbath days. Things that a Christian can touch but sh- or shouldn't touch. Things that a Christian can eat or shouldn't eat. Drink, shouldn't drink. Um, angels, you know, discussions about angels. Arguments about angels. Worship of angels. These are things that were distracting the believers in this community of faith. And what distracted them isn't necessarily what will distract us. What distracts you may not be what distracts me. But here is the big idea that Paul is driving at in this portion of the text. It's on your outline. It is easy to lose my connection to Christ, to the substance, by becoming distracted with lesser things, with what he calls the shadows. Okay, He says in verses 18 and 19, his, talking about these folks that get into all these distractions, his unspiritual mind puffs up with idle notions, with junk, with nothing. He has lost connection to Jesus, lost connection with the head. So Paul has been showing us, again, Jesus is life. He is the author of life. He is the creator, the word that existed before the universe was spoken into existence. It is in Jesus that we find our sins of the past forgiven, that we find our present lives full of meaning and our future, even beyond the grave. It takes shape in Jesus because he is our life. He is the substance, or verse 17, the reality. So chasing shadows weakens that connection that we have with our life, with Jesus. Now, some distractions, like the giant rats, are just part of the environment, just things that happen from time to time. Other distractions are more strategic. It is as if someone is out there, something visible or invisible, that is determined to take our eyes off what really matters. Now, I have a personal favorite when it comes to these strategic distractions, and it comes from Arizona State University. I don't know if we have any Arizona State people here today. We're mostly an ACU, UT, A&M type crowd, but the Arizona State basketball arena has taken distraction to the next level. Now, let me say, you have probably seen a college basketball game or maybe a pro game where the, one of the opposing team is getting ready to shoot a free throw and the fans begin to distract. Yeah, they begin shouting and jumping around, waving signs, maybe a, a poster of a girl in a bikini, you know, whatever, to get the opposing player distracted. But you have not seen anything like what they do at Arizona State University. They have invented the curtain of distraction, right? And here they are ready These guys are ready to open the curtain of distraction. Right as that opposing player gets the ball, is ready to shoot, they will open it, and you never know what's going to pop out, like you had an Elvis pop out one time, right? I mean, who can't pay attention? There's the king. There's Elvis, you know? And then one time I picked this image out because I just didn't really know what was going on. You've got this, like, doctor 
right? With a clipboard and a stethoscope, and he seems to be talking to the guy that's about to shoot a free throw, so have no idea what that is. And then this one I left out just because I didn't want to distract you ladies today, but one time they pull up the curtain of distraction, and please don't look this up on your phone. Don't be distracted. Pay attention to the sermon. But you had three guys in Speedos pop out. Two of them were quite overweight. And then one of them in the middle, Speedo, swim cap, gold medals, was the Michael Phelps. The actual Michael Phelps. How could you not be distracted? You're getting... And it works, they say, that opposing teams, since they have added the curtain of distraction, are shooting 10% worse from the free throw line. So there you go. When our distractions in life, when those curtain of distractions open up for us and they take our eyes off Jesus, we lose connection to our purpose. We lose connection to the, to the lover of our soul. We lose connection, chapter 2, verse 17, to reality. And distracted living, kind of like distracted driving, can be a very dangerous thing. And often, it's most dangerous because we don't actually... We can look at the, the letter in Colossia and go, Seriously, guys, new moon festival, Sabbath day debates, what you can eat, what you can't eat. Come on. To those, the, they, to, to those folks, those were not distractions. That, oh, that stuff's really important. And to you, you may not even be able to recognize what it is that's distracting you, and that makes it even more dangerous. There's a minimalist... Uh, writer, a New York, uh, New York Times best-selling author named Joshua Becker who writes this. He says, our world is full of distraction. The most dangerous are those we do not recognize. Okay? That's not a distraction. That's really important. You know, I got to reach the next level of Candy Crush. That matters to me. And so it's easy for us, I think, to look at someone else or some other group or the Colossians and say, Really, guys, those are clearly distractions. How on earth could someone waste their time pursuing those things or arguing about those things? Um, but those things, again, didn't seem like distractions to them, did they? Becker says this. He says, far more detrimental to our lives are the subtle distractions that quietly surround us. They are not announced by blinking lights or beeping sounds. In fact, they have begun so commonplace that we hardly, uh, uh, sorry, and ever-present that we hardly even notice their existence. But these distractions take residence in our mind and wreak havoc on our pursuits. In the end, they keep us from living our lives to their greatest potential. And what we want to talk about today are those quiet distractions that embed themselves in our mind, in our way of life, in our thinking, we may not even recognize them as being distractions, but they take our focus off the Lord. So, let's talk about some of these curtains of distraction that affected the Colossians and affect us as well. And a good place to start out, I'm calling this proposition-based religion. You could call this rule-based religion or regulation-based uh, faith or something like that. But the idea that you get so into debates and arguments and thinking about the smaller things, they may even be good things, that you lose focus on Christ himself. In the first century, 
for the Colossians and probably the Philippians and some of the other folks in Roman colonies there, Gnosticism was big. Gnosticism is just the pursuit of knowledge. At this time, there were teachers. Oftentimes, these teachers would travel from town to town and would make their living off these teachings. But they were new ideas that they said. If you get to know this secret knowledge... If you come to understand this new idea, you will unlock the potential of your mind. Right? You will open the door to a brand new life. You will bring to bear all of this new power on your problem and your situation. You won't believe it. And so they were very popular, and everyone wanted to know these new teachings, these new ideas. Now, beyond Gnosticism in Colossia, Paul has told us there were also people that were very distracted by angels, okay? They were infatuated with the worship of angels. Now, angels are real. They exist. The Bible talks about angels. But honestly, if we're being totally honest here, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about angels. They show up from time to time in the Bible. But we're not told a whole lot beyond them being ministering spirits and everything. And so with this void, with like the Bible says they're real, but it doesn't say a whole lot more, people began to create these crazy theories about angels. They begin to get so into angels. Like, you know, if you pray to this angel or if you do this, this particular angel will come to you. They got so into that that they actually, it began to look like they were worshiping these guys, Okay. And it was a distraction to the church there in Colossia. So something good, even something God-given like angels, can become a massive distraction uh, for people who get caught up in it. Right? The next thing, let's talk about the pursuit of perfection. So we talked about proposition-based religion. We talked about the pursuit of new ideas, the fascination with everything new. Now we talk about the pursuit of perfection. Again, that sounds like kind of a good thing. I want to like make myself better, improve myself. Um, so you had these folks that they came up with lists. Okay, our lists probably are not going to look like their lists in first century Colossae, but they had these lists of things that a Christian, uh, to be perfect, doesn't touch doesn't eat, doesn't drink, uh, holidays that need to be observed in a particular sort of way. And they got into this. They wanted to get it all exactly right. And they kind of began to believe that like maturity in Christ is getting all of this stuff down perfectly. What they lost sight of was Jesus. <laughs> You've been made perfect. Jesus on the cross. You are free from accusation. You are blameless. You are righteous because of Jesus. Not because of your ability to correctly check all the boxes on these lists they were passing around, right? The next one. Past regrets. They can really distract people. And this is probably a few people here today. Past regrets. You find yourself living in the past. And look, it may be some awful thing that you did. Okay? It may be some awful thing that was done to you. Either way, you can dwell in that and you can stop, kind of stop living today. 
and stop moving forward. Now, if there was anybody in the New Testament who could have been distracted by their past, I would suggest the Apostle Paul would be the leader of that pack, right? I mean, here is a guy that had a lot of baggage, right? He had the personal item, the carry-on, and three check bags. He had a lot of baggage, right? I mean, before becoming a Christian, he had, like, arrested innocent people. He had torn apart families. He had sent good believers off to be killed. And here he is trying to do ministry. He's accepted Jesus, and he's trying to... How distracted could he have been by all of those regrets, by all of that shame, by all of that stuff that he had personally been responsible for? He writes in Philippians chapter 3, and this is just, this is gold here. If you are caught up in the past, listen to what he says about his journey. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. And the context there is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's like, I'm going to keep my eye on Jesus, who he has called me to be, what Jesus has planned for me. I'm not going to worry about that. The cross took care of it. But you can be so distracted by what has happened to you or because of you that you can lose sight of the Lord. And then the next one would be the pursuit of approval. Some of us struggle with this. Like, I need for people to like me. I need for people to applaud and to admire and to respect. And you can get so caught up in that that you just kind of drift away because really only the approval of Jesus matters if you get down to it. And for some of us, this approval, this applause, it just matters too much. And we just don't have peace because we're not getting that. And guess what? Not even Jesus, who was perfect, got 100% approval rating, right? They hung him on the cross. Live for him. Live for his approval. And then finally, you've got to talk about this. Obviously, this was an issue in Colossia. It's obviously an issue today, which is the pursuit of things, stuff getting my hands on what the other person has or getting more of this, that drives us, it distracts us. And so Paul in chapter 3 verse 5 talks about greed taking root, talks about lust distracting us, and he talks about idolatry, shiny things. You know, what's the new thing that I need? And chasing that around and these unhealthy cravings that can never satisfy, they become huge distractions for even for believers. Now, you need some stuff. God knows that. You know, Jesus talked about seek ye first the kingdom. Seek ye first God and this other stuff. He's going to take care of it. He knows your needs. He's got it covered. But the pursuit of things, the constant need for more, 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 what a huge curtain of distraction that just seems to open every day when you get out of bed, right? Getting your attention off the Lord. So what do we do? Easy thing to pick at our distractions today to say, we are obviously we're distracted. What do we do with that? Well, listen to what Paul says. It, it gets really simple here in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, since then, 
you have been raised with Christ. Remember, you were baptized with Christ. You were buried with Jesus since you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, I love this phrase, who is your life, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's just marinate like our minds and our hearts in this. Read this with me if you would. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The best way, Paul suggests here, to handle distractions is displacement. Displacement. Fill your life with Christ. Crowd out the distractions. And so this is the uncluttered life. Verse 1 has to do with your heart, your emotions, your affections, your passion. He says, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated. Set your heart on things above. Even when we give, even when we put money in the collection plate for the kingdom, we're doing that. You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That our money and our hearts are tied together. So leveraging everything so that my heart is tied to Christ. And then number two, set your minds, right, on things above, not on earthly things. Not that we don't have to think about some things, got some bills to pay, some issues to resolve here. But setting your mind is an intentional focus. It is a turning toward the Lord. And there are so many ways to do that. I won't preach the five extra sermons I could preach here. You're welcome. But there are plenty of ways to do this. A regular time with Jesus in His Word, listening to Him speak into your life, praying, meditating. Even this year, we're doing some, some memorizing of Scripture, writing it on our hearts. It's powerful. It shapes us. It displaces a lot of that junk that would otherwise settle in to the center in our lives. We have spiritual formation groups here. Bob Chisholm does a great job with those. And so many of us have been through this year-long journey. And some of you are in your second or third year. And you're getting together with a group of three, four, five people. And you're spending time each week meditating on the things of God and talking things out and praying through things. And some have gone on these trips. We have a couple times a year to Colorado where you get a, a time to just be with God and be silent with the Lord. And, and there's so many ways, you know, to connect with Jesus. And the key is looking for these ways to set, to set your hearts 
on Christ and displace the distractions. By the way, research I was reading this week, researchers call this the executive function. Um, It's this idea that you will ignore some things and focus on other things. Right? That's called the executive. You start having this ability when you're about four years old, and you develop it until you're about 30 years old, ignoring one thing, focusing on another. And some people do better at this than others, but what everyone agrees is you can actually strengthen this executive function. You can strengthen your ability to do this. All right, as we finish up, I want to level with you. I don't I don't know exactly where you are. I don't know what things are clamoring for your attention. I don't know what curtains of distraction are going to open for you tomorrow morning. I don't. But I am confident in this. Your life won't change until your thinking does. Your life won't change until your thinking does. Set your thoughts on Christ. Watch your life change. Set your heart on Christ. Watch your life change. And the more you fill up with Jesus, the more guaranteed peace you will enjoy as the Prince of Peace begins to crowd out all of those lesser things. Now, let me say this just in a, as we finish this morning. Here's the deal. Like, why does this matter? Distractions, is that really such a big deal? Why do I need to deal with this? Can't I just have some Jesus and have this other stuff? And my my mind and my heart are all over the place. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because, well, we'll see in a second. But you need to be the curator of your conscience. You need to take control of your thought life. Like, think about Israel. I was thinking about this this week, Israel. And this will be quick, I promise. But they were in slavery in Egypt. And we all remember the story, the plagues, the awesome, miraculous intervention of God. Grant reminded us of that at communion this morning, how God just stepped in, delivered his people, set his people free, told them, I've got this amazing place for you, the promised land. You're free. Go claim that promised land. And then distractions set in. Some of them were good. Some of them seemed important, like we're thirsty. Moses, where's the water? We're hungry. Where's the food? Some of them were a little nuttier, like, you know, I think life in Egypt wasn't all that bad. I mean, literally, there were people that were like, let's turn this thing around and go back to Egypt. Um, There was some idolatry. Hey, why don't you make for us a golden... And there was a lot of stuff that began to distract them. And by the way, I got on MapQuest this week, and I was like, so how far is it from Egypt to the Promised Land? It's about 200 miles. So do a little math. I'm not great at math, okay, but do a little math here with me. 200 miles, that means if they had just walked a modest 15 miles a day, it should have taken them about two weeks to get to the Promised Land, right? Should have taken them about 14 days upon leaving Egypt to cross into that amazing land God was giving them. You remember how long it took? It took a little more than 40 years, right? Ended up taking more than 40 years. And because of these distractions, a generation, a generation missed out on what God had for them. 
So yeah, our distractions, it's a big deal. It can keep us from stepping in to that promised land that God has for us. So what about you? Maybe you are a distracted disciple. And you just just need to put your focus back on Jesus this morning. It's time to put everything, your ministry, your job, your family, all of that in orbits around Jesus. That's your life. That's your substance. That's your reality. Maybe this morning it's time to cross the line of faith and to wear Jesus, to put him on in baptism, to proclaim to the world, I believe in the gospel story, and I'm joining my life to that. Or maybe, frankly, you've just got some, some particular things that are taking your focus away from where your focus needs to be, and we would love to pray about that. Maybe it's with some members of your small group or your connection that are sitting around you or just your neighbor there at the pew or your spouse or come down and pray with me or one of our shepherds. But let's take that before the Lord. The Bible says we can cast our cares, our anxieties upon the Lord for he cares for us. Do that before you leave here today. Just cast that upon the Lord. Bring him into that and put your eyes back on Jesus. Let's stand together. Let's worship.